Why, Judas? Why, if you were going to simply change your mind? We can't know what his motives were. Was it really the money, the 30 pieces of silver? Or maybe power? Or maybe he saw which way the tides were turning and he wanted to make sure that he was on the winning team. Maybe he had some family pressures to stop following this rebel Jesus. Or jealousy bubbling up deep within his soul because Jesus preferred one of the other disciples over him. Maybe Jesus simply hadn't done what he expected him to do. He hadn't been the sort of Messiah he expected. No displays of earthly strength and power. Instead, there was all of this talk about loving one another. I'm sure there's not one simple answer to that question, why? We are complicated creatures. And even when we think we are really in touch with ourselves, we still are not always aware of what is driving us to do the things we do. And yet I'm curious. I would like to understand how Judas could go from being in the inner circle, one of the twelve, to complete betrayal of his friend and teacher. Matthew may have good reason for leaving out Judas's motive. It's probably better for us not to know, not to allow ourselves to be distracted or even to be able to excuse his choices. Matthew leaves us in the present with Judas's betrayal. And here's the thing about betrayal, about violating trust, about choosing to take an action that will decimate a relationship. When you are contemplating that decision, when you are thinking about an act of betrayal and considering how it will play out to your advantage, You never really know exactly what that betrayal will mean. What it will ultimately feel like to destroy that important relationship. And I'm not just talking about what other people think of Judas's betrayal. We already know that. 
He's been condemned by Christians ever since for his role in instigating the trial and ultimate death of Jesus. I'm talking about how Judas felt. He had no idea what it would feel like to live in his own skin after he discovered that he was capable of such a betrayal. After he realized the massive ramifications of his simple kiss, pointing his finger at Jesus. He probably thought that once he had done it, his part would be over, and the fate of Jesus would be out of his hands. And it was. The leaders of the synagogue took their complaint straight to Pilate, and this entire trial ensued. Who knows if Judas was there observing the trial, or if he simply heard reports of it in the marketplace. Jesus stood silent as he was accused, charged, and asked to defend himself. Jesus identified so completely with the message that he proclaimed, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He identifies so completely with that that he refuses to give in or acquiesce to the will of those empowered to determine the course of his life, to live or die. Jesus will not deny the truth. He is the Son of God. And he does not need to defend his actions. They stand alone as a testament to the truth of God's love for the world. As Judas hears about the trial, as he hears about Jesus' faith in his call, his steadfastness in character and action, there is a shift, and Judas becomes a more sympathetic character. He shows signs of remorse. When Judas saw that he was condemned, Judas repented. Maybe, just maybe, when he was thinking about betraying Jesus, he had not intended to kill him. 
as he mulled over all the possible outcomes in his head, maybe that was a possibility he had not even considered as a result of his actions. And when it says that Judas repented, it is not repentance as we talk about in our life of faith, but more of a repentance with a lowercase r. Not a profound change, but more of a shift of feeling. We're not talking about him reorienting himself or changing his life, or changing his will. That sort of capital R repentance was available to him if he had gone back to the other disciples or to Jesus himself to confess. But what we hear about is him returning to those who were complicit and his betrayal of Jesus. He does not hide his bad behavior, his deception. He owns up to his sin. He claims it and admits that he has betrayed an innocent man, and his blood will be on his hands. And in this simple confession, he becomes more moral than the ones that he confesses to, than Pilate and the synagogue leaders. They remain cold, callous, and frightfully hardened. They show the depth of hardness and evil that is capable within human nature. When I say they show the depth of evil we are capable of, this is exhibited in their strategy of absolving themselves of the evil that they participated in. Their justification is that they did not actually do the betraying. That is all on Judas. And so they are not guilty of anything. Their response to Judas's remorse, go deal with it yourself. Make reparations yourself. Judas started the betrayal of Jesus, and from then on it was like a ripple effect as the deceit and the evil pervades through the leaders of the synagogue and on to Pilate, and then on to the crowd who asked for Barabbas' release, and then go on to shout, crucify him. The fear the evil becomes pervasive. Jesus was teaching love. Jesus was teaching amendment of life to honor God 
and neighbor and self and Pilate and Judas and the religious leaders were so preoccupied with power and were so fearful of change that they missed the possibility of a world in which love and compassion could become a reality for them. They crucified God's Son, and they reassured themselves that they did not have to change. And yet God would not be betrayed. Even as we humans betrayed ourselves and got in our own way of knowing healing love and redemption, God abides and finds a way through to redeem us in spite of ourselves. That is the good news. For now, though, we sit here with Judas's betrayal and with Judas's realization that his betrayal of Jesus was absolutely wrong. And looking back to the eve of the betrayal, before the kiss, we must ask ourselves, how much am I an accessory before the fact? We use subterfuge in the betrayals that we are complicit in. We attempt to deceive ourselves of the depth of our role. We attempt to deceive our neighbors. And we half hope that we deceive God of the evil within us. We are just like Judas. We are complicit in the evil that damages our world and the lives of those we love and the lives of those God loves. We betray our promises to God. In the end, Judas chooses isolation. He bears the burden of the painful ramifications of his act of betrayal all on his own. He confesses to the wrong people, to his accomplices, but not to God. Sin and betrayal have the final say in Judas's life.
Peter also betrays Jesus. He denies him three times. And yet in the end, Peter confesses and receives absolution and grace. And so for each of us, there can be another ending to our betrayals. An ending that includes repentance, amendment of life, absolution of the sin that enslaves us, and restoration to grace. Even in the depths of deceitful betrayal, God sees us with love. God sees the goodness of creation within us. God sees a person worth forgiving and redeeming. No matter how far we fall from grace, no matter how worthless we feel that we are, no matter how dark we feel our soul has become, God does not let evil have the last word word.